0: The podcast that wants you, yes, you, to keep wearing your skinny jeans. No matter what anyone else says, wear them to death. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 119. The main event in today's episode is the second half of my conversation with Audrey. Y'all met her in the last episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it first. Audrey is the owner of Flourishing Style Collective and Found by Flourish. I totally messed up both of those names in the last episode and didn't realize it until I was about to post the episode. I'm so sorry, Audrey. We're going to talk about capsule wardrobes, why it's important to keep wearing your damn skinny jeans, and so much more. I think you're going to love this conversation. Before that, we have a brief job-quitting audio essay from Yvette and a great hotline phone call from Maggie about TerraCycle. But before we jump into all of that, we have some business to take care of around here. First, you may have seen this on Instagram. Maybe you haven't. I would like to invite all of you to attend the virtual workshop that I'm leading for the Lake Bluff Library. Lake Bluff, Illinois, I don't live there, but they reached out to me and asked me, When they reached out to ask me to do it, I couldn't say no because I love libraries so much. I bet you do too. When I was a kid, the town library in the very small town I lived in, it was called the York Haven Library. It was my home away from home during the summer and every day I would drag a suitcase. I can picture it so well. It was like red vinyl, someone's suitcase from the 70s. I was cool before you could be cool, I guess. (laughs) Anyway, I would fill that thing with books, I would drag it, I want to say the library was about a mile away, I would drag it to the library, return all those books, spend hours in there filling it back up with books to take those home and read at night. If you've been listening long enough, you know that my superpower is that I'm a speed reader and I, that has nothing to do with anything, but I am really excited to be doing this presentation for the Lake Bluff Library. If you've been wanting to learn more about how to identify fast fashion, fight the scourge of greenwashing, and most importantly, things you can do as one individual, join me for this free, yes, and I mean no money at all, it is 100% free virtual event. It's on Tuesday, March 8th at 7 p.m. Central Time. It's on Zoom, so you don't even need to wear pants. You'll receive the link for the Zoom after you register. You're like, okay, Amanda. Great. Register, register, register. Where do I do that? It's at bit.ly/lake-bluff. You don't need to write that down. It's going to be in the show notes. Go register now, seriously now, because there are limited spots. This will not be recorded, unfortunately. But if it goes well and it seems like something more of you might be into. I can do regular workshops on my own for a small fee for like larger groups of people, maybe in times that work better for you. It's something I'm thinking about until the pandemic recedes and I can actually do live events, which I seriously, this is what I get so excited about before I fall asleep. Every night is like the day we all get to meet one another in real life and you can ask me real questions (laughs) until we can do that. I'm just trying to lean into technology this uh, Lake Bluff library event is one way to give that a try. If you're asking why should I attend this when I could just listen to the podcast? Touche. You are in fact right, but there will also be a dazzling slideshow of information and sick vintage graphics along with a question and answer period. So it's just another way to absorb information and honestly I attend everybody's Instagram lives just because I like to hear other people's voices so you might enjoy that too it gives me the fake feeling of going out uh anyway I would love to give a get a big turnout for this one because it will show the library that there's an appetite for these kinds of discussions and hopefully they'll have more in the future plus it's great to reach more people okay Now let's talk about the next round of audio essays. I mentioned them in the last episode, just gonna throw it out there again. In last week's episode, Audrey and I talked about these style rules that we have had forced upon us as if they are actual laws. Like we follow them as if they are real, right? From no mini skirts after 30, to cut your hair short at some serious age, to this idea of dressing appropriately or flatteringly or whatever bullshit that comes our way, we're swimming in a sea of style rules around age, gender, size, and lifestyle that are frankly bullshit. Yet we've been exposed to them for so long that we don't know that. I get in my head all the time, like, am I dressing appropriately from age? And then I'm like, fuck that, Okay. I'm going to wear all the floofy cottagecore dresses I want. Anyway, I want to hear from all of you. What is a style rule that you're glad to break? What was your journey to realizing that your style was personal and nothing to do with anyone else's rules or opinions? Or conversely, are you fearful of breaking the rules? Is there a specific rule and why? Tell us all about your relationship with how you dress. I think this is going to be a fun one. So what is an audio essay? It's a recording you make using either your phone or your computer. You email it to me at amanda at closeforce.world and I edit, mix it, and add it to an episode. I will not accept written essays for this. I recommend that you write it all out, then record it. It's okay if you make a mistake while you're recording. Just say that part again and keep rolling. Don't stop. Honestly, I do this all the time. By the time you listen to this episode, I have made 1,000 mistakes that I fixed and I have found through trial and error that it is better for me to just keep talking rather than to stop and start over. So just do that and I'll zhuzh it all up for you. Don't forget to record in a quiet room away from fans, air conditioners, bus stops, barking dogs, alarm clocks, car alarms, uh, yodelers, air horns. That machine on the Mexico City streets where they steam the sweet potatoes, record away from that too, Uh, basically in a quiet space. The deadline for this project is April 1st, so you have more than a month to get this done. Your recording should be anywhere from three minutes to 10 minutes long. Uh, Send it to me anytime. You record it today, send it to me now. You'll probably be the first one that I release into the world, so it's kind of a 1st come 1st serve sort of thing. Okay. We've tackled two pieces of business. We're going to tackle one more. Let's thank some of the newest Patreon supporters. I'm so sorry to all of you that I have been so behind on this, but there's just been so much great content to share with you all that I haven't been able to fit it in, and that's a great problem to have, I guess, but I also want all of you to know that I'm super grateful for your support, and trust me, it means a lot to me. I am not forgetting about you. First, we have Brittany Thigpen of Colorado. Brittany if I found the right Brittany you may have noticed that I looked at your LinkedIn profile which is marginally creepy I'm sorry for being such a creep thank you so much for your support and I just want to say if you are the right Brittany I really like your glasses next is Sarah Innes of Toronto Canada Sarah just between you and me I've been thinking a lot lately about how I would like to visit Toronto when the pandemic ends because it seems pretty cool, and it's something Dustin and I have been talking about a lot. So maybe I'll get to meet you someday. Thank you so much for your support. There's another rad Canadian who decided to support Close Horse, and that's Courtney Smith. Thank you also, Courtney. Next up is Sarah Falvo Eppers of the great state of New York. Sarah, I didn't stalk you too hard in the internet, but I did see that you have a very cute dog. Thank you for your support. Last but not least is Danielle Nilsen of St. Louis, Missouri, another place I'd really like to visit. Danielle is an incredible collage slash textile artist, and I urge all of you to go check out her work on Instagram at Danielle Nilsen Art. I always feel so lucky to be supported by so many talented and interesting and just fantastic people. Thank you so much, Danielle. If you would like to join this illustrious crew of the raddest people, learn more at patreon.com slash clotheshorse Podcast. And thank you again to everyone for your support, even if your support is just listening to me talk for hours on end every week. Seriously, no one else does that. So I'm really grateful for you. All right, let's jump into some really interesting stuff. First, we're going to listen to an audio essay from Yvette. It's short, it's sweet, and it reminds me of all the times I should have done what she does in her story, but I didn't, and I live to regret it. (laughs) That's an incredible introduction, right? Let's give it a listen. Hey, so
1: my name is Yvette, and uh, unlike a lot of people that I've heard leaving essays, I am not a small business owner. I'm not a creative. i do not sell vintage clothing. Um, I am a career civil servant. However, um, while I would say all of the technical skills I needed to do my job, I learned back in architecture school, all of the interpersonal skills that I have, um, and that I get complimented on all the time in work settings, uh, I gained through working retail jobs throughout my twenties. Um, so this is going to be a relatively short tale <laughs> of, uh, a time I quit my job. So I worked mostly in sort of small, like mom and pop type shops, small boutiques. I worked at a little natural food co-op for a really long time. Um, but I had never worked at a large chain until I was hired at Urban Outfitters. Um, and I guess I can say the name. If not, please, you know, bleep it out if you need to. Uh, and I remember distinctly at the interview, one of the, it was like this sort of weird group interview where like, there was kind there like was like 10 of us and they went around and we had to answer questions in this group setting. And they asked um, what the last CD we had bought was. And that, I guess, should give you an idea of how old I am uh, because nobody buys CDs anymore, but, uh, so I remember my answer, and it was Gang of Four, but I don't remember what the CD was, but anyway, I remember the band, but not the album, not important, so anyway, I was hired, and I started on my first day, and like I said, I'd never, ever worked in any type of chain before, and I had no idea what to expect, and there was no training whatsoever, they just threw me on the floor, um, like in this sort of back corner and I was told to fold shirts Uh, and I was just kind of left there for four hours and then somebody came back and they were like okay you can go to lunch now and so I went to the break room and I got my bag and I walked out the door and I walked into the French quarter and I never looked back and that's how I quit my job after four hours at Urban Outfitter I think I got a job at an art gallery after that, but I don't remember. To be honest, it was so long ago. Um, But yeah, I haven't worked retail in a long time, but I learned a lot of useful skills. So anyway, I just wanted to share my great
0: resignation story from 15 years ago. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for taking the time to record your story, Yvette. I know that we have a lot of listeners and previous guests who have been employed by Urban Outfitters, Or one of its sister brands, and they will agree that you made the right decision. So kudos to you. (laughs) Okay, Maggie is a Patreon supporter. Thank you, Maggie, who also happened to send me a great question that sent me down a very interesting and educational rabbit hole. So let's take a listen.
2: Hi, Amanda. This is Maggie calling from Boston. I am a longtime listener. And fan of the pod and a first time caller. And I'm calling because I was listening to the episode about the Clinique Beauty Counter and thinking a lot about waste in beauty packaging. Um, And so this question is tangentially related. I uh, was looking at one of the beauty websites that I, or one of the beauty brands that I order, my. Um, skincare products from. They were talking about sort of end of life of their products, and you know how you can recycle their packaging. And some of it is glass, and you can just throw that in the recycling bin. But the other option was to send it back to them and have them TerraCycle it. Um, and then I started thinking about TerraCycle a little more because you talked about Brita filters briefly on the pod. Um, And I know that those are TerraCycled. I looked it up and it seemed like they had paused collection on the Brita filters. I'm not sure why. Um, And then the third thing that made me think about TerraCycle is I've seen um, like a marketing push for Parade Underwear on my Instagram at the moment. And they have this campaign going where you can send in your old underwear for um, TerraCycling and then get some sort of discount code on an order from them. You know, which having listened to your podcast long enough, I know that's a marketing ploy. But anyway, I guess what I wanted to know um, is what happens to things when they're TerraCycled and what is TerraCycle's kind of practice as a company? Because I had seen a few articles online suggesting that maybe things aren't getting recycled to the extent that we think they are. Um, And so I'm kind of just curious to know where those things go because they take things that are sort of notoriously hard to recycle. Um, And obviously, you know, I've learned from you that even if things are getting recycled properly and having, you know, getting new lives through their program, that's not a free pass to go out and buy as much new stuff as you want. Um, But, you know, it would be nice to know if they're actually doing what they say.
0: I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm like 99% certain that Maggie is talking about The Ordinary, it's a skincare brand, in this message. And I say that because I use this product line almost religiously. I like the glass bottles, the product is affordable, it lasts a long time, and it really works. Compared to other skincare lines out there, The Ordinary has the most minimal and recyclable packaging. Most of the bottles are glass I don't buy any of the products in the plastic bottles, but I know they exist. The boxes are simple cardboard. There's no outer plastic wrap or inner plastic seal. And these things are important to me because they all add up. This is not a commercial for the ordinary. (laughs) Just just, going to say that. But this is a line that I've used for years now. And while the packaging is better than most skincare brands, the plastic lids and droppers give me anxiety. Yes, I reuse some of them for other products and weird homemade concoctions, but the reality is I'll never be able to reuse them all. And I know that at best, even if they all get recycled, they'll be recycled like once. Because that's the reality of every plastic in our lives. Even if it is recycled, it will only happen once and then it will end up in the landfill for centuries. Plastic... Once a wonder material in the mid-century of the twenty of the twentieth century, I had to think about that one for a moment. It was a wonder material, right? And it's still our best option, unfortunately, for many things like medical supplies and some kinds of food packaging. But it's no longer a wonder material. It's a big, scary, like endless nightmare problem. Unlike aluminum and glass, which can be recycled over and over again. Plastic can be recycled once, maybe twice, at most, because the plastic fibers just degrade into uselessness. Someone ought to fix that, right? Well, that just hasn't happened yet, which leads me to believe it may not be possible. But then again, maybe it's just because, oh, I don't know, companies are focusing on other things that are less good solutions, or that, you know, the oil industry makes a lot of money off of selling oil to plastic manufacturers. So it's hard to say there. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. We've talked about recycling a lot around here. If this is new information to you, I urge you to go do some Googling about recycling. Google recycling myth. That's a good place to start. <laughs> it's It will get you riled up. That's my warning, too. You. You're going to be really angry. For me, it was like I imagine how a lot of children felt when they discovered there wasn't a Santa. That's how I felt about the recycling myth so back to the ordinary i get why the lids are plastic honestly i don't know if a metal lid exists that does what the ordinary does and even still there would be the squeezy thing on the droppers maybe the ordinary could lose the droppers i don't know because a glass dropper would be incredibly fragile i kind of think the ordinary is doing the best that they can with what's available in the right in the world right now but they could be you know innovating and trying new packaging ideas, I would honestly love to be able to go to an ordinary store and just refill my existing bottles. I know that wouldn't work for a lot of people. Or maybe I should say I know that wouldn't work for all people, but it would work for a chunk of people. Every little bit helps, right? Anyway, The Ordinary is aware that these items most likely cannot be tossed into your curbside recycling bins, so it offers an in-store recycling program in partnership with TerraCycle. And a lot of skincare, cosmetics, hair care, personal care product brands do the same right now. The Ordinary's specific program with TerraCycle is suspended right now due to the pandemic, but one can assume that it will return someday, or maybe it won't, because guess what? TerraCycle might not be a good solution or a solution at all. So let's talk about TerraCycle. It was included in Time's 2021 list of the world's 100 most influential companies. So automatically I'm like, all right, I'm I'm gonna have a problem with this company, (laughs) unfortunately, right? According to its own website, quote, TerraCycle is eliminating the idea of waste by recycling the non-recyclable. You know, I get... I would say that my greenwashing alert starts to ring a little bit when I see really strong language, like eliminating the idea of waste, which really sounds like strong language, but actually is like, means nothing, right? Anyway, we could break that down. I immediately was like, okay, I don't trust you, TerraCycle. So TerraCycle offers a so-called zero waste service to consumers who can request a box, fill it with the items that they can't throw into their curbside recycling bins and send off to TerraCycle to be recycled. Well, maybe recycled. The whole concept of this being zero waste is it's a logical fallacy immediately because there is going to be waste of resources shipping that box around, right? I. Anyway, we'll get into that more. We'll also get into that idea that maybe they're not recycling everything in a few moments too. TerraCycle is best known for its partnerships with so many just huge companies where it recycles their bad packaging from Brita filters to Swedish fish wrappers, coffee pods, Entenmann's snack pouches, chip bags, cosmetics packaging, and of course, the ordinary's bottles, caps, and droppers. Often these kinds of items aren't recyclable because they're made of a mixture of materials like Brita filters or their construction is surprisingly complex. Here's something for the You Learn Something New Everyday file. Chip bags are actually made of layers of different types of laminated plastic that are difficult to separate. That's why they don't get recycled. TerraCycle works with some of the biggest companies out there, like Kraft, Frito-Lay, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Late July Snacks. Gerber, L'Oreal, Toms of Maine, Nestle, and Clorox to recycle their so-called unrecyclable packaging. You hear this, you're like, wow, what an incredible service. TerraCycle, you are a hero. Yet TerraCycle was included in an article from The Guardian called Five Sustainable Boondoggles, Greenwashing All the Way to the Bank. Hmm. The segment about TerraCycle was titled Closed Loop-de-Loop Rating, Iffy at Best. Also, I just love whoever's writing these headlines at the Guardian. (laughs) Okay, so perhaps TerraCycle is not that great, right? I mean, we're already getting there. You knew if I was talking about it here. You know that if it was ringing some bells for Maggie, that probably it doesn't all add up. Well, Last summer, Alton Wicker, a name that comes up an awful lot here at Close Horse, wrote a great investigative piece for Vox called, This Company Claims to Help the World's Biggest Corporations Recycle. Activists Say It's Greenwashing. I will share this in the show notes, and I urge you to read it ASAP. I'm not going to give away the entire article. It's a long read. It's a great read, and it will make you think about a lot of things. But I do want to share some high-level findings that I was able to back up by some other research I did because I like to party by reading a lot of waste industry blogs. Yeah, there's a lot of those out there, guys. I, if you have an afternoon to kill, go read some waste industry blogs. They're actually really illuminating, really make me rethink my relationship with the stuff that I don't think of as stuff the stuff we throw out. uh, Always a great thing to think about. Anyway, you don't have to do that either. Just go read this article from Vox. It's really good. Okay. So ostensibly, TerraCycle is offering an incredible solution to a big environmental problem, which is packaging that just can't be recycled. But really, no one exactly knows what TerraCycle is doing with all of that packaging. They aren't very open about it. And furthermore, what TerraCycle is really offering is the opportunity for big corporations to greenwash and sell more stuff. For example, feel bad about how much you love flaming Hot Cheetos, but stress out about the plastic bag? Don't worry, you can send it back to TerraCycle and they'll fix it except, well, right now, you can't do that. Most of the brand-specific recycling programs have a waiting list. You, the individual consumer, could request a $218 TerraCycle box for food wrappers, and you could fill it up with months' worth of Cheetos bags, send it off to TerraCycle, and feel as though you've done this amazing deed. The benefit of that, is that Frito-Lay doesn't have to come up with a more sustainable packaging option for Cheetos, and they also don't have to worry about you no longer buying their products because you worry about the packaging because you're not worrying about it anymore. Now Frito-Lay has done the bare minimum to make you think they are a company that cares about the planet. You might even buy more Frito-Lay products because you think they're such a socially responsible company. Don't like Flamin' Hot Cheetos? Substitute shampoo, substitute uh, toothpaste, substitute products from the ordinary. You name it, the same phenomenon is happening. An organization called the Last Beach Cleanup actually filed a lawsuit against TerraCycle in 2020, claiming that TerraCycle helps corporations, quote, reap the benefits of portraying their products as recyclable while offering no corresponding benefit to the environment or to consumers concerned about sustainability. That's a sick burn. That lawsuit was settled last year with TerraCycle agreeing to update its labeling and messaging with clear language that there are limits to how much and what they can recycle. Do I feel like they are there? Absolutely not. I suspect also that is why so many of these brand-specific recycling programs have been suspended or at least have these endless waiting lists because... TerraCycle can't handle that product and they can no longer legally make the promise that they can. It's important to add here that the majority of TerraCycle's revenue at this point comes from these corporate partnerships where companies are paying for the marketing benefits of that TerraCycle logo on their products. Currently, TerraCycle is actually recycling a tiny amount of U.S. plastic waste. And even if the company, as it says it's doing, could scale up to meet the demand for some of these items, would it make sense anyway? For example, let's talk about something we've never talked about here on the podcast, but really we should, Taco Bell sauce packets. Fun fact, Dustin and I love Taco Bell. Get yourself a black bean Crunch Wrap Supreme. Delish. Great road trip food. Uh, we haven't had any since we moved to Austin. We were just talking about that at dinner last night. Wow, we haven't had Taco Bell for a long time. So, this is great timing for me to tell you about Taco Bell sauce packets. Yes, I have lost sleep here and there thinking about all of the fire sauce packets in landfills right now. Last year, just in time for Earth Day, naturally, not a coincidence, Taco Bell announced it was partnering with TerraCycle to recycle all of its used hot sauce packets. Well, it turns out that even if only 60% of Taco Bell's sauce packets were collected and sent to TerraCycle, it would produce 104,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide per year. You're like, what does that mean, Amanda? Well, that's roughly equal To the annual carbon emissions of 23,000 cars. I cannot say this enough. Recycling feels like a solution for so many things. We forget that recycling requires a lot of transportation and energy to execute. And so recycling is never a net zero situation. We should never be using recycling as an excuse to overconsume. Furthermore, The entire idea of that many sauce packets, which by the way would be more than 6 billion if you were wondering, the entire idea of 6 billion sauce packets being collected is just a pipe dream because it's just not going to happen. No one is going to do the work of driving around collecting 6 billion sauce packets from customers. And you know what? They shouldn't have to do that. Like, Why doesn't Taco Bell just offer pumps that dispense sauce inside their restaurants? Or have the employees put the sauce on when you get takeout? Those are easy ways to make a big impact. But Taco Bell doesn't do that. Instead, they pay for this dumb partnership with TerraCycle, where I suspect a very, very tiny amount of sauce packets are going to be recycled. Judith Ank, who's president of Beyond Plastics at Bennington College in Vermont and former EPA regional administrator under Obama, told Vox, quote, I am a very dedicated recycler. I have never mailed TerraCycle anything, and I don't plan to. On one hand, I want to say it's well-intentioned. But on the other hand, I think it gives excuses for large corporations to keep using plastics. She's right. Many environmentalists argue— I would agree here that rather than paying for this amorphous, possibly untrue recycling service, companies should be spending that money on developing new, truly sustainable packaging options. Or rather than helping big corporate conglomerates greenwash, TerraCycle should be working with activists, consumers, and communities to rethink purchases and products. For example, What if, instead of recycling Nespresso pods, which TerraCycle offers to do, instead people were encouraged to make coffee the old-fashioned way or use reusable pods? Rather than claiming to recycle the endless amount of packaging involved in an LOL surprise toy, yes, TerraCycle says they do that, encourage customers to skip those products and put pressure on toy companies to stop making so much dang quasi-disposable plastic packaging for toys? Or how about eliminating the need for Brita filters in the first place by creating and leading programs that help people replace the pipes in their homes and ensure that public water systems provide safe, quality drinking water? Now that's a real solution. Or rather than charging consumers for recycling boxes, as TerraCycle does, and they charge a lot, and it's not a good deal for the consumer. Why not work with brands, retailers, and municipalities to implement a deposit system? Right now, TerraCycle puts the burden, the financial burden of recycling, on the consumer, and they don't get that money back. How about when the customer buys an item, they pay a deposit. When they're done with it, they return the packaging to a special collection center and receive the deposit back. I know, sounds pretty wild, but Oregon has been doing this with cans and bottles for years. And you know what? Barely any of it ends up in curbside recycling because there's money tied up in those cans and bottles and somebody always wants it. The TLDR of all of this is that TerraCycle is not a solution and it's not an environmental organization. It's a for-profit company that is monetizing our eco-anxiety. I don't have a problem with them monetizing Eco anxiety. I don't have a problem with them making a profit. I have a problem with them not really offering a true solution. Right now, they're making money by selling us $200 boxes to throw our unrecyclable items in, or they're giving big corporations an easy greenwashing message, and neither is a fix. TerraCycle is not here to make the planet better. It's not truly solving the plastic crisis, no matter what they say. Their impact is minuscule. TerraCycle offers everyone, corporations and consumers alike, a fantasy that we can continue living our lives the same way we always have and also solve the plastics crisis. That's why greenwashing is successful. Change is required, and it's going to involve everyone from big corporations to To all of us, no one's exempt. If you're listening to this podcast, you're already working on those changes. Let's get more of us involved. And who's ready? I know I am to start demanding that Taco Bell offer sauce pumps in their restaurants. Sign me up. Should we start a petition now? I will do it if I hear from even one of you. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm laughing, but I'm serious. Once again, go read Alden Wicker's article for Vox. It's exhaustive, it's infuriating, and it is so worth the read. That link will be in the show notes. Thank you again, Maggie, for asking such a great question. Thank you for leading me down an odyssey of waste blogs, to be fair, not the first time. Still always grateful to be reminded to do that again. If any of you, yes, you, have a question for me, send it my way either via the Close Horse hotline or via email. Do not DM it to me. I will forget about it. I need it. I needed an email. You can find the details, all the details for reaching out to me in the show notes. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Close Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, With a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. Help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at Dylan Page Life and Style. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.ckinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage we are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at ThumbprintDetroit.com and find us on Instagram at ThumbprintDetroit. So many of you reached out after the last episode to say how much you enjoyed meeting Audrey and that her advice and experience helped you feel more secure about your own style choices, which I love to hear. It makes me so happy. So let's jump right back into our conversation. I wanted to touch on a few things that came up during that conversation, which is first off this idea of the capsule wardrobe. (laughs) I, you said something that I was like, yes, hell yeah. Where you were like, you know, this very idea of the capsule wardrobe is used sort of as a marketing message, you know, whether it's by magazines or blogs or straight up by brands. And, I was telling you as we were preparing for this conversation that some a recurring theme I noticed when capsule wardrobe became a buzzword a few years ago, a mm-hmm. buzz phrase, a buzz idea. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. Uh, I would see the same scenario play out over and over again on social media. Person says, I'm getting a capsule wardrobe. They go into closet. <laughs> they purge 95% of it, right? They're like selling stuff, donating stuff. So we already see just all the stuff being – they're ridding themselves of it. And then – they have to go buy a few pieces to fill that. And it makes me feel that there is a certain shopping habit associated with capsule wardrobe. Some of it is good, right? Because it's like, okay, you're buying things that you know you're going to wear a lot that you like, Mm -hmm. theoretically. I've also seen a lot of people do the purge, do the shop, fail at the capsule wardrobe, (laughs) and then go back to their old habits, right? And have to replace everything. You know, we saw this happen even with as everybody was Marie Kondoing their their homes before the pandemic people then were like oh shit i don't have anything in my house to be comfortable anymore and they went and rebought everything so there can be a vicious cycle of consumption and waste associated with some of these i don't know these ideas that have really hard and fast rules that aren't I don't know that like, like much like we're saying, oh, I can't wear that because I'm a banana shape. Uh-huh. We probably shouldn't say my capsule wardrobe has to be black and then like a black and white striped shirt and a pair of black pants. Because what your capsule wardrobe should be is really things that you love. And they don't have to fit anyone's outline of what a capsule wardrobe is.
3: Yes. I yes. I have so many thoughts and feelings about all the things that you just said. First and foremost. Let's talk about the Marie Kondo bit for for just a moment because this is something that comes up very frequently in my industry because I am, in a way, a a closet consultant. I'm doing some home organizing in the process of best serving my styling clients, right? And I guess I should also mention now (laughs) part of what I do for my clients When I take things away, well, I should say I take things away for them that no longer resonate, fit, et cetera, and I have a consignment store where I help pass those things along. So in some ways, my consignment business absolutely relies on people cleaning out. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stuff to pass on to incoming shoppers. However, the goal in helping somebody clean out is to strategize to get clear on is this item helping or hurting and i think that there is this misconception that like if something is not beautiful or like visually exciting it doesn't belong in your house. If you're following the Marie Kondo method, right? Like spark joy, talk about a buzzword, buzz phrase, buzz concept, (laughs) all of those things, right? And Mm -hmm. as a romantic archetype, I'm all about those feelings and those positive associations you have and your home should be your sanctuary, whatever that means for you. However... (laughs) Like you're saying, we also have this social responsibility to not just pitch a bunch of crap, overwhelm our thrift stores, which has totally happened, and um, then go back out and buy all that crap again, because now you have nothing. So there is this vicious cycle. And I, I will also say, not to be totally nerdy, but certain style archetypes and personalities are going to interpret something like a Marie Kondo method and even a capsule wardrobe method really differently from one another. And I'm going to support clients in making safe and responsible decisions about what they let go of and what they hold on to based on my knowledge of their archetype. So it's like really all super connected, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to, when it comes to capsule wardrobes, let me take a deep breath. (laughs) This This is a heavy topic. So Capsule wardrobes, from my opinion, in in their essence, in their truest form, in the goals I believe Donna Karen had in sort of creating a easy to pair wardrobe, these are all good things, right? Like I don't think, I mean, obviously Donna Karen was a fashion designer who wanted to sell her designs, but I really think that there is also this holistic hope of making life easier for her customers. I want you to wear the things that I've created, the designs that have, you know, come to me. I want them to live a life outside of your closet, all good things. However, I don't even know exactly when it happened, but you're right that suddenly a capsule wardrobe became like the only way to have a responsible wardrobe, or the only way to feel stylish and put together all the time. And they have, we have been trained that they have very simple or basic color palettes uh, that typically, like you said, fall into like a gray scale with maybe a pop of khaki, um, maybe red. I feel like I've seen red shoes or red bag, maybe a red blazer as, like, your one pop of color that, that you've been granted. <laughs> um, you know, uh, did I say navy already? Like, what we kind of think of when we think of the classic. Like, let's be honest. These are just, again, tried and true. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, when you know who you are, you know what styles make you feel alive, make you feel like it's easier and more, maybe even more exciting to get dressed that's when you can truly begin working towards a capsule, from my mm-hmm. experience. As an experiment, last fall, I created a visual representation of what a capsule wardrobe could look like that was accurate for the season. So I live here in Pittsburgh, where it's still so freaking cold. Um <laughs> And, and like we have a lot of fall foliage, but it gets really cold really fast in the fall. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to find things that were warm, but didn't necessarily make me feel like a marshmallow in like end of September, right? So how do I get things that are functional and appropriate for where I live and where I spend my time? Uh, After doing my color analysis, I'm a deep autumn, which means I wear the darker but also warm and rich colors of the color palette and my style archetype, which predominantly is romantic. And I also have a blend of cosmopolitan and creative that none of those things are going to resonate with what we see being suggested to us on Pinterest or again. And I think well-meaning blogs Right, I want to give these bloggers some credit. They're tr- they're trying to share something that maybe worked for them or has worked for mm-hmm. friends and family, or if they're stylists, things that have worked for their clients. But again, like it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my clients who are not classics. So I pulled uh, either things that I actually own or visual representations from online of things I would love to own. So maybe it's outside of my means right now. But if I had this item on hand, how would I be utilizing it with the pieces that already exist? What sort of versatility and value does this add to my life, to my wardrobe? How is it going to make things easier when I'm like scrambling in the morning to get dressed and help my five-year-old daughter who's a total fashionista and wants me to approve every outfit and accessory edition <laughs> and <laughs> all of our pets and like get out the door successfully, right? right. And and I, I wanted to show people You don't have to fit the mold to still respect and utilize the groundwork that a capsule does provide.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Because at its core, that's the first goal, right? Utilization. And for us, coming from a sustainability standpoint, utilizing your wardrobe is goals. That's what we want. The most sustainable wardrobe is the one that you wear, period. I I care less about where you bought them. I, I mean, that's a topic, duh. But I care less about that part and more about the fact that it's actually put in rotation. I want mm-hmm. you to wear the things you have purchased. Mm-hmm. Similarly to kind of like culling your whole wardrobe when you're finally committing to that capsule mindset and lifestyle – The same thing happens when people really jump on the sustainability bandwagon, which, like, I want them to be here, one hundred percent, but. The first step to having a more sustainable wardrobe or home in general is not to trash everything. And by trash, I mean, I not literally put in the trash. Like if you've Googled sustainability at all, if you're here listening to this podcast, you know we <laughs> don't put things in the trash. But to to let go of, right? That's not the first goal. That's not what our aim should be. It should be to see how we can better utilize this in our space. And so if that means curating a capsule wardrobe around those things that you've already bought maybe from H&M or Shein or blah, 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 all those other places that we just so love to call out. That That is a movement of sustainability. Wearing the fast fashion that you've accidentally already purchased is the best thing you can do for that garment. Totally. Totally. You know, first off, i
0: buy fast fashion clothes secondhand and wear them. Yes. Like they're here and they need their love. And if they feel like they're pretty well-made or going to you know, get me some wear and fit my aesthetic and fit my body, I'm not going to toss them aside when I'm thrifting or secondhand shopping just because of the label inside.
3: I'm so um, glad so- to hear that. I feel the exact same way.
0: Yeah, when I hear people feel like say, like, oh, thrifting is ruined now. There's no good vintage left. I'm like, you're right. A lot of vintage stuff isn't at the thrift stores anymore. But there is a plethora of clothing with so much, oh my gosh, so many wares left in it. Yes. Uh, Like, do you need a sweater? Go to the thrift store. You need a blazer, go to the thrift store. You need. I actually almost all my pajamas are from the thrift store. I, <laughs> like love I find, that. Thanks for sharing find, that with me. <laughs> uh, fun fact: one of the first sections I always go to. Um, and so, you know, I I think that we unfortunately, you know, we just talked about how the capsule wardrobe and you know fit archetypes, all of stuff, have really just been marketing messages in so many ways to get us to buy some stuff. We know the sustainability is too, and. I see this still happening regularly on social media where brands are using so-called sustainability as the call to action to shop. Mm-hmm. When I was, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a buyer, we're always talking about what's the call to action to come and buy this thing. You know like like trust me, many people are sitting in meetings creating the call to action that will get you to hit the checkout button, yep. right? Like, is it the free shipping? Is it the like, we are runn- We only have two units left? Is it the like, email that reminds you three days later? Is it that the sale is ending soon? That kind of stuff. <laughs> a lot of brands are using sustainability in quotes as the call to action. Like, oh, you care about the planet. You're a good person. The only way you can really show that is by buying this thing. And like, (laughs) no, right? It sounds preposterous when you say it out loud, but that is what is at play there. H&M, prime example of someone who is definitely not a sustainable company. I'm sure there are plenty of people who work there who genuinely care. But unfortunately, their big sustainability push is a scam designed to save their business, which was failing for years, you know? Yep. It's, it's so like, I'm so cynical about it because it's just, it's just so ugly to me that we would let retailers exploit people's good intentions, innate goodness, but that's exactly what it is. And, you know, like, I'm just gonna say this again, actually be a sustainable lifestyle involves a minimal amount of shopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Because you use what you have until you can't use it anymore, you know, and I that's that's not a great story for the retail industry. That's not what they want to hear. So they are like, hey, how about instead we sell you this brand new soap dish for your <laughs> bar shampoo or something. Like go in your closet, go into your bathroom, throw out everything that's in a plastic bottle and come and buy this new zero packaging stuff from us. Hi, we're Target. Like it's it's just yes. – uh, it's so frustrating. We're humans. We want to buy things. But I promise we actually get pushed and manipulated into buying things a lot more often than we're aware of.
3: I think you're totally right. And I will be the first to say that like on my platform that I specifically use to try to help some of my audience, particularly on Instagram, that may not have the means to hire a stylist, whether it's me or a different image consultant. I I, I really feel strongly that everybody deserves to have awareness of what their personal style is and support in exemplifying that, bringing that to life. So I often try to share shopping suggestions or lookbooks that might resonate with certain archetypes. And I know full well that some of the retailers that I end up choosing, there's room for improvement, right? But again, mm-hmm. going back to the sincere hope <laughs> that, uh, that my average audience member is somebody who is looking to do the best they can and maybe mm-hmm. she still needs to make a purchase with whatever budget makes sense for her lifestyle or her family or whatever, I'm going to try to do my best to send her in the right direction so that she has the thing that she needs while also encouraging her to really think hard. Like, I, I don't want you to click the link if it's not actually something that is worthy of your closet. Mm-hmm. That's going to add Absolutely. value.
0: Absolutely. Yes, agreed. Like yes, we're gonna need new things. We just wanna choose them more smartly and yeah. and choose things that are right for us exactly. personally, not what we're being told is the right choice. Exactly. Right? If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles by embodying the love, craft, and energy Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of February, St. Evans is supporting the Yellow Hammer Fund, a reproductive justice organization serving Alabama and the Deep South. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearstevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at WhereSt.Evans. That's Where Saint Evans. Country Feedback is a mom-and-pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul, and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at countryfeedbackvintageandvinyl, or head down east and visit our brick-and-mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns, handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at Republica underscore Unicornia underscore Yarns and at www.RepublicaUnicornia.com. Picnicwear, a slow fashion brand, Ethically made by hand from vintage and deadstock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnic Wear in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnic Wear recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid. Well above New York City minimum wage Picnic wear offers minimal waste And maximum authenticity Future vintage over future garbage Cute Little Ruin Is an online shop dedicated to providing Quality vintage and secondhand clothing Vinyl and home items In a wide range of styles and price points If it's ethical and legal We try to find a home for it Vintage style with progressive values Find us on Instagram At Cute Little Ruin the Pewter Thimble is a curated second-hand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme, like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the Eternal City. Discover more on Instagram at the Pewter Thimble. Okay, speaking of things that we're being told are not the right choice, I wanted to touch on skinny jeans because... (laughs) This is something that comes up a lot. This whole idea of like skinny jeans, being chuggy, being out of style, Chewy. being embarrassing. Like so many people I've talked to who are like I literally finally found to wear a, pant- a pair of pants that I feel comfortable in and confident in and now I'm being told I can't wear them and I'm like no. hmm hmm No, wear your skinny <laughs>
3: jeans. <laughs> I I'm so glad you brought this up. I literally was in A client's closet with her on Tuesday morning, going through all kinds of awesome stuff. And she said to me, are skinny jeans out? Am I allowed to keep these things? Oh, that's those rules. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, trust me, like this client, she's a kick-ass woman. She is a creative archetype. She is open to trying new things. She she's probably the first on the scene sometimes to do the weird, cool, different whatever. And like her life has no rules, yet here she is questioning these bullshit rules that we've Uh, been told, right?
2: And it hurts
3: my heart. (laughs) Yeah. So I said, first of all, you keep what you like right? Like that, that is the whole goal of fashion therapy, style therapy. You keep what you like that makes you feel good. If you feel good in your skinny jeans, absolutely hang on to them. However, if they're not the right fit, if they're worn beyond repair, if uh, there's nothing I can do to advise you on tailoring or altering them, they're just not it or point blank, they don't resonate. That's how we make the executive decision together to let them go. But if mm-hmm. you're being bullied by Gen Zers on TikTok that you're not allowed to wear skinny jeans anymore, you need to stand up to those children. <laughs> you're a grown-ass <laughs> woman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean <laughs> honestly, the
0: retail industry has been Has been both mourning the loss of skinny jeans and also pushing all these other jeans on people in the hope of recapturing the magic of skinny (sighs) jeans. Because I know I've said this on the show before, but like you, the average person cannot overestimate the sheer impact that skinny jeans had on retail, especially fast fashion retail in this century. Because people, sure, people were jeans before that, right? It's always been the all American garment, but actually not that many people and people didn't wear them every day. And you saw even less of what I think of as the staple of the skinny jean, the black jean, right? It just wasn't, people wore pants, right? If they wore pants at all. And so skinny jeans came in and suddenly they were like a hit, They grew and grew. They added more and more elastane to them so they fit more and more bodies. (laughs) They made them cheaper and cheaper to make. People bought them and bought them and bought them and wore them every single day. It was their uniform. People of all archetypes, of all ages, of all lifestyles. Everyone bought them. Everyone loved them. There was a different way to style them, right? And it, as an added bonus, it also encouraged people to buy more tops. So it was like, this is great for business. We'd rather sell everyone one pair of pants and five tops than just one dress. And that's that's what was happening, you know. So then, then you know, they kind of peaked, uh, and then they began to decline. And the retail industry was like, shit, we don't have a replacement. We pulled out. We tried crop flare wide leg, high waist, low waist, boot cut, like they've been cycling it back mm-hmm. to everyone and like I remember for a while it was like no rigid denim but like that's even harder for a lot of people to wear yes. and ultimately the denim industry took a hit. At the same time it was also being really hurt by the rise of athleisure which sort of <laughs> stepped in to take the place of skinny jeans for a lot of people like you know yoga pants, right? Mm-hmm. Leggings and I I just I'm glad that we're not making tons of jeans that are people are throwing out that don't that don't decompose. That's great, but like at the same time, if you love skinny jeans, just wear them. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're going to keep buying other jeans that you don't wear. And they're just going to sit there and then they're going to go to the Goodwill.
3: Yeah. Like we hate that. Do what
0: you like. Yeah, people like people love if you love skinny jeans, you love skinny jeans and your whole wardrobe, the shoes you wear, everything
3: is based on your skinny (laughs) jeans, right? Just keep wearing them. That's fine. Be you. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with you. Like everybody, everybody who's listening, Amanda and I both support you wearing your skinny jeans until you no longer can. (laughs) And I know I'm the proud owner of many pairs of skinny jeans that have gotten me through some seriously hard times. (laughs) They always feel good on my body. And like you said, I mean – When you do have a variety of tops, they totally go with your jeans. (laughs) And they're like, for me, an almost year-round item that I can change up and down depending on what I'm wearing them to. However, from a styling standpoint, if they don't resonate or if you want to try something different... Let's find a way to do that in a way that is going to feel authentic, in a way that's budget friendly while being as responsible as we can be. So if we can thrift, let's freaking thrift. And let's figure out which new to you silhouette you want to try that's going to align with the rest of your wardrobe or with your archetype, with your lifestyle. I know for me, like, a cropped flare. It took me a little while to get on that bandwagon, but once I finally did, it was like a homecoming. I was like, "Oh my god, this is the silhouette." <laughs> when I need something different than a skinny jean, that totally makes me feel creative and still put together. I can wear a cool, funky shoe with it and a more simple top, but like this is this is my statement. I'm trying something that other people may not really love to wear let's figure out what that looks like for you within reason. Mm -hmm. You should feel free to be experimental and expressive and playful in whatever ways feel right for you. But that doesn't mean you should feel pressured to like suddenly fake that willingness to try something new simply because you're being sold the idea that you can't do this anymore. No more rules and Mm -hmm. regulations. No more. Yes. Do
0: what's right for you. I mean, yep. I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about um when my daughter Dylan was in second grade, they came home from school and were like, hey, everyone at school is getting highlights. I want to get highlights too. Okay, first off, that is so young for highlights. We'll take that discussion off the table. But I remember thinking like, oh man, I remember when I was a kid, I was so sucked into what everybody else was doing and like, you know, how it really makes every decision you make so stressful when you're a kid. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's the same, we're all living in that same way even now. Like if you're if you feel pressured to get rid of your skinny jeans that you love, it's the same as being in second grade and asking for highlights. Yep. Because everyone else had them. Just do if you want highlights that badly get them.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> and and find a hairstylist who understands the undertones in your hair color so she can match <laughs> that blonde perfectly to you. <laughs> But mainly like if you
0: have a seven year old child, please for the love of God don't take them to get highlights because then it means all the other moms at school have to do the same thing. <laughs> Just think of us. Please. <laughs> this is like so stressful. <laughs> I know. I was I was like, what is happening in this world? Now we get elementary school kids' highlights. I mean, listen. To be fair, I started getting perms in my hair in kindergarten because I loved the musical Annie and <laughs> I wanted curly hair like Annie. And definitely my grandma, my mom should have said no, like no like tiny child is getting a perm. But instead my grandma was like, sure. And so I started getting perms all the time at my grandma's like old lady hair salon. Like <laughs> I would be this like little tiny person with the perming rods in sitting there listening to them all talk about Matlock or whatever—I don't know.
3: Anyway, and that smell that burns <laughs> the inside of your nose to totally set the curl. I feel like we're we lived parallel lives somehow because <laughs> same visiting my grandmother and my great grandmother in like deep South Florida. <laughs> I I was like I was pressured by the old ladies at the beauty parlor to get my hair curled so I could look like Shirley Temple. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. Listen, guys, we were all getting perms all the time. Oh my God. So it to be fair, I guess if you want to get your second year your two second grader highlights, it's fine. It just it really puts the pressure in all the other parents to take their kids with <laughs> them too. So I'm sure I started some trends with Dylan that ruined every mom's life for a month <laughs> so i we're all part we're all in this together. Yes. Um okay. So you know, the last thing I have been talking to everybody about and I know you have thoughts on is how we can make slow fashion better because you know we've talked about how we're being sold we're being sold a lot of these ideas to sell us stuff but slow fashion really is a way of life that should be accessible to everyone.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with you. So, I don't feel like I have all the answers and and in, in my style and fashion related career path I have mostly been on the customer facing side of things, right? So I don't have a lot of experience with what production and even design looks like. But through sort of being in the same world, what I feel like has happened with a lot of the slow fashion or sustainably minded movement is we have sort of this like homogenous look or again, aesthetic of what that means. What what does that translate to as far as retail goes? What does a sustainable style or closet look like? And sometimes, it, at least for me, as somebody who doesn't have a natural style archetype, it feels like kind of crunchy granola. And <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that if that's authentic to you. I want you to dress right. that way. But for me personally it doesn't resonate. It doesn't make me feel like me. And I would love, I I think there are already strides being made, but I would love to see continued development in slow style that suits our all styles, slow fashion that suits all styles. Obviously, we also need to really prioritize size inclusivity. And Mm -hmm. those things need to go hand in hand. You can have any type of personal style, no matter what your body shape and size look like. Are there going to be proportions or things in our clothing that might make us look and feel more balanced? Totally. But style comes in all shapes and sizes. And I know that we just don't quite have that yet in a slow fashion movement. Yeah,
0: yeah. We have a long way to go, right? I think, unfortunately, slow fashion, rather than being a movement for and by the people, it has been dominated by brands, by companies. And it's not a diverse aesthetic. No. The sizing's not there. I was talking to another friend recently about how, you know, we're kind of getting fed up with the, like, it's a small business. Like, we can't afford to add bigger Mm. sizes. Because, one, I see makers who are literally one person all over Instagram, Dressing as many people as they can, yep, regardless of size. And two, a lot of these, like there's one, I'm just going to say them. <clears throat> their name is Wolven, W-O-L-V-E-N. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I'm constantly getting their ads and filled with rage because their models couldn't be skinnier. Their influencers couldn't be skinnier. I had to scroll back like four months to find one person who wasn't a size zero and I know a few people in the community have reached out to them in the past to ask them about their sizing, and they've gotten some really, like, snotty responses. Oh. Brands like that are taking investment money. Like, they're literally drafting up a P&L and a, saves, a sales plan and creating a deck and going out to investors to ask for money. I've done this at other jobs I've had. This is how it works. They could be budgeting extended sizing And the infrastructure required to get there into that budget, and no one would bat an eyelash. They are consciously making that decision not to. Yep. I and so I no longer accept that excuse. Yeah, I no longer accept that excuse from people. Um, I think that you know it's just up to us as the community to take take slow fashion back. You know, put on your skinny jeans and get
3: into the slow fashion movement. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree with that. And I. How do you – do you consider shopping secondhand to be part of this movement, or do you sort of group it separately? What are your thoughts? I think it's the
0: cornerstone
3: of it. Okay. That's how I feel, too. And so I think that – You know, while I know so many, especially local or very, very small chain thrift or secondhand vintage shops, et cetera, like they're not going to have the budgets that like maybe a Goodwill might, but I think that there are these things we can all collectively be asking for and expecting in secondhand retail shops to make it easier for me to make a purchase there, whether it's for myself or for a client or my daughter, like I love to thrift for my little girl. Um, But when... (sighs) When it's really hard to find the size I'm looking for or items are constantly being put back in the wrong spot and there's really not Mm -hmm. enough people to like maintain the storefront, um, it's difficult. So then maybe somebody or especially if you don't have good thrift shops in your area, people are going to be turning to online options such as like Mercari, Depop, Poshmark, which I love. Um, I love that those things exist. And of course the OG, eBay and Etsy. Like I can't forget about about those. Don't forget. You've been with like us for a long time. Yeah. But um and of course the conglomerate that is ThreadUp. I love the heart that I interpret to be behind up, right? But you and I have talked about this privately. It just doesn't function the way we hope it would. And wow. when we are not, as as employers in the retail space, and I group myself in here, um, when we are not investing in educating the team members who are responsible for our e-comm department, we are doing a huge disservice to the sustainability movement and the customers who want to be a part of it when they can't find what they're looking for. When we have it, but it's mislabeled. <laughs> we have it, but it was. Um, I see this on thread up a lot. It's a skirt that's on the mannequin as a tube top. <laughs> God, <laughs> so I know. Like, so <sighs> this is a time for rules and regulations.
0: Right? I. I mean, listen. Like I. I share similar frustrations with ThreadUp. I know people who have great luck there as well. But like I'll, you know, I'll search by size and something will come up and I'll be like, okay, well, the tag on this says, and this is a brand I know I wear, uh, I'm a medium there or whatever. Yep. And then I look at the measurements and it'll be like waist measurement, 11 inches. And I'm like, wait, yes. what's going on here? Right. And I, as far as I can tell, because I've been, people are always like, do an episode on ThreadUp, do an episode on ThreadUp, And I'm like, listen, I would love to. Unfortunately, they keep all their information locked down. Yep. But what I have gleaned by reading pages and pages and pages of their Glassdoor reviews uh, is that, you know, they what they're offering is a really challenging concept, which yes. is like someone's sorting through every single thing, you know, measuring, sorting, sorting it by brand, sending it off to be shot. Then someone's got to type up all the information, launch it on the website. This is like so many people and so much time to just even go through one box from a person and get that product live. And it seems that they are, you know, they're setting, this is so classic. If you've ever taken a uh, venture capital, you are pushing for maximum sales growth all the time. Yeah. And it seems that they are pushing for that while not having the infrastructure of staff beneath it to support that. And so they have these really high uh, targets in terms of the number of s- things they have to sort per hour, steam per hour, photograph per hour, launch by hour, all of that. And it, stuff is just falling to the cracks. It's it's just too much. And so I think that they are kind of setting themselves up for this failure by not investing in people, yes, and instead, you know, making as as my dad would say, writing a check their ass can't cash, <laughs> which is like <laughs> we're gonna sell nine gazillion garments and we're gonna make one hundred gazillion dollars this year, but we're gonna use the same staff that we did when we were only making one gazillion, uh-huh. you know, and and that's just I in startup life that's where it bites you in the butt at some point. So I love the idea of thread up. I guess that's why I tend to. Focus more on things like Poshmark and Depop yep. and Etsy and eBay, because I can. It's a person who has is not trying to launch one thousand styles a day and is able to, you know, give you information and take their time. And also, then my money goes directly to a person, which I love. But yep. I can't emphasize enough that secondhand to me is the most important part of sustainability. It is not buying new fancy organic hemp. Locally made clothing. If you can do that and you're going to wear it for a long time, absolutely do it. But don't feel like that's the route you have to go because thrifting, shopping secondhand, sharing clothes, getting, you know, swapping on your local Buy Nothing group, like there are all these other ways in which you can practice a sustainable lifestyle. Mending those clothes, washing them carefully, all of this is the important part of it. The less important part is like, is that organic bamboo that is made from moon dust? You know,
3: <laughs> the, the, that's important. <laughs> God bless them if it is. Yes. Okay. I mean, we're we're in full alignment here. And as somebody who, you know, grew up with pretty limited means in Austin um, and, you know, thrifting was really kind of like my, it's kind of my only option for like finding clothes that felt unique to me and like, cool and different and expressive and uh, have the affordability to experiment as a young person. I'm even talking like elementary age to discover what is my style. Like thrifting will always have a huge place in my heart. And as somebody who owns a consignment boutique, my hope is that we are able to continue normalizing shopping secondhand um, in, in all realms. And by what I mean, uh, what I mean by that is all types of secondhand retailers. So whether that's something higher end and more targeted like fashion file or something luxury oriented, like the real real. Or we're actually going to like our local Goodwill bins and digging through and, you know, finding those special random crazy finds. I I want people to feel included in this movement and to feel like they have an opportunity to save some money, save the environment, and find something new that sparks joy (laughs) in their wardrobe. Yeah. 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 And I I totally agree with you. And, you know... I, I am a small business owner. My business is real small. And we're lucky that the store has made it through the pandemic thus far. A uh, quick anecdote, I opened a brick and mortar in November of 2019 in Pittsburgh. Woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when yeah. it's snowing all the goddamn time, nobody wants to cross a bridge or go through a tunnel to come to Verona mm-hmm. where my store is. And then we all know what happened after that. But my, my ongoing goal is to continue to further educate myself about sizing brand awareness, how certain things are made, who is this targeting, how can I best style this to a larger demographic, a wider demographic, and how can I pass that knowledge and expertise and willingness to learn to my staff So they Mm -hmm. can be ambassadors of a super cool, sustainably oriented store to help people who maybe are not like the thrift store shoppers like we are still feel Mm -hmm. like they can partake. They can learn what it's like to kind of hunt. Lots of times people who come to shop at Found have never been thrifting before. And this is sort of like the gateway. (laughs) Where it feels like boutique you've got a sales associate who knows their shit and wants to help you. And maybe that inspires her to start shopping secondhand further, no matter what that looks like, thread up or otherwise. But you're right. It comes down to investing in your people and really product knowledge. How, how can I style this? What can I do with it? Uh, we know size is garbage and there's <laughs> Again, like no standardization and hasn't been standardization in a very, very long time. So how can my team and myself know at a glance what size human this actually works for? Uh
0: yeah. That's yeah. the challenge, right? Well,
3: yeah, especially if you are somebody who is not particularly style savvy, you don't necessarily have a ton of experience in the realm of fashion, etc. Let's say you go out on your own and you're like, I'm going to go to Goodwill today and I'm going to learn how to thrift. I know I wear a size large. I'm looking for some blazers and some skinny jeans. <laughs> well, you go and you pull like, you know, the five size large blazers that most resonated with you at the shop. If the dressing rooms are even open and you have an opportunity to try them on, half of them are not going to fit. <laughs> Point blank. True. Whereas true. If, if you have some guidance and you've had a coach or a cheerleader who has been like, hey, J. Crew is actually fairly consistent in their sizing. You can count on them when you're a size 12 blazer. It's going to fit in almost every cut they make. If you're shopping secondhand, check out that label. Hunt for that. They worked really well for your archetype and body shape. But, like, nobody – like, an average person doesn't know that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I – for a while I had this idea that I was going to, like, buy, like, a hundred tape measures and send them out to, like, as a contest, as a giveaway on Instagram because, like, it's kind of the most valuable thing you can have with you when yep. you're secondhand shopping, whether it's in real life or at home at your computer or on your phone. Like, measure yourself. Measure a garment you like that's similar. Measure what's in front of you at the thrift store. Like, I – every hardcore vintage shopper I know is like always has a tape measure in their purse. Yes. And I, I cannot recommend enough that everyone should carry one. So yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to get tape measures and send them out to people. But then I, I, I got in my head cause I was like, these are plastic and what if people use <laughs> them? And like, I'm obviously not going to be able to get like some ethical, sustainable tape measure. It literally doesn't exist. So uh, then people are going to be mad at me on the internet. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to skip this idea Um, maybe I'll come back to it at some point, but if you're listening to this, if you don't have at least one tape measure, like for your body, not the kind you measure a room with, Mm -hmm. uh, in your possession, get one right now. It's going to make, you're going to be disappointed significantly less often. And that's, that's reason enough to have one.
3: I completely agree with you. I think that, it's all connected, right? Like having this understanding of style, as we've talked about, and wardrobe needs is just as important as understanding your body and how your body has actually nothing to do with the size tag in the garment you may be considering. And understanding what your measurements are, what you're actually supposed to be measuring, (laughs) right? And how to get an accurate idea of The size, the numbers of your own shape, and then how that's going to um, feel differently, depending on the blend or the textile that you're shopping, that you're looking at. Because again, like, let's say going back to... um, thrifting. We're looking for that really cool blazer, right? And we know we're a size 12. Uh, Our stylist, Audrey, said to look for J.Crew, but I just didn't find it at Goodwill today. So I found some other really cool blazers. I had my measurement with or i I know what my measurements are i brought my um there are paper uh measuring tapes by the way that we might yeah so we can consider that i I would love to partner with you on this adventure um i've I've been the responsible informed shopper i've measured the blazers and they actually have the same exact measurements but when i put them on why do they feel so different right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like there are what feel like so many roadblocks to trying to do the right thing
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's really, really hard, right? I I mean, we've had Meredith on in the past to talk about fit, and I think actually I'm going to have her back again because it's it's just not fair, right? She went denim shopping this week and was posting videos of like, here I am trying on the same size in every single store. Mm. And like, oh, in this one, I could put like a whole loaf of bread in the back (sighs) between the waist and my body. Like all these classic just, we've all had this with all the things we shop. And yeah, unfortunately- the industry doesn't set us up for success. There is, There are no, you know, like there are federal laws around what a gallon of gas is, what a pound really weighs. <laughs> and literally there is a government agency that monitors that and fines people yes. for being like, oh, you actually only gave someone 0.95 gallons of gas. You know, your gas station's getting fined. When it comes to size, everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Just like do what you want. And unfortunately, like what we've learned is that you can't trust any big company to ever do what's right. They're always going to do what's cheapest, fastest, easiest. And that's why we end up with like the same blazer from the same brand coming in like 17 different versions, although looking the same on the outside. And I even, man, when we were talking about skinny jeans, it was coming back to me all the jeans I worked for a big fast fashion retailer that sold a shit ton of skinny jeans, a lot of black ones. And I would periodically just buy a new pair of black skinny jeans mm-hmm. and wear them until they they fell apart, which wouldn't be that far in the future because these were not good quality. And I would buy a brand new pair, like just like order it like, oh, this is the size of the last one. And then I would get this one and like suddenly my foot didn't feel like it went through the hole or these were just a little longer on the crotch or the fabric was just different enough to make it not sit in the same way on my body or the pockets were in a slightly different position. And it wasn't because they were like, we're going to innovate. We're going to keep making these jeans better. It was because they weren't QAing to see if the factories were sewing them the same way using the same fabric. They were just reordering them. Yes. constantly, mm-hmm. and then the factories were outsourcing to other factories that hadn't sewn those jeans before, and were just making their best guess. And that's how all of this stuff happens. So unfortunately, it's always going to be a little bit hard. I mean, until we get these laws around size, which I, I think are probably low on the priority list for a lot of people. But yeah, the but best like, thing we can do is measure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's keep talking about it, and you know what, I I love. When I see people talking about how uh, like a cult brand has terrible fit, like oh like there's this brand, Selkie, which I'm I sure knew I'm you were going to say that. <laughs> yes. Very romantic, very show-stopping, yes. cult brand for sure. Yes. Their fit is straight up garbage. Yes. It makes no sense.
3: That's like, so funny that you said that.
0: Inconsistent uh all over the place like in terms of like you you can't be like oh I bought that dress before in this size surely this one will work no I hear people talking about like this one was six inches shorter I couldn't get my arm through armhole or like everywhere else I shop I'm a size small but here I'm an extra large like like none of it makes any sense I see it coming up a lot on reddit and instagram and I'm like yeah why is that
3: okay and it's totally okay? not. Yes, I'm with you, right? Like where, so where we're at right now, the best thing to do is to inform ourselves and give ourselves the the tools that, sh- that should lead to success, n- knowing that sometimes it's just not going to, and that is not a reflection on us. And also being very vocal about demanding change, because we both probably have experienced this there is this like we're we're trying to break up with the feelings we might have associated with changing size right like whether that means our bodies physically changed size and form or we are vacillating between sizes between different brands because there's no fucking regulation or reason behind size charts and like all of the production things that you just mentioned so we've got to figure out a way to to demand change because it impacts the well-being and mental health of all people. When when we have, as a society, put so much emphasis on looking a certain way, weighing a certain number, being built uh, to you know, again achieve like the hourglass or the the slim body shape, whatever it is, whatever the body shape de jour may be. When we are not that, we are hurting. And we've got to figure out a way to regulate manufacturing, sizing standards, educate consumers on how to find their own best fit, and also acknowledge that diversity is key. It is a fundamental part of moving forward as a whole. Totally, totally. And just, like, community. Like, I think...
0: When I I love when people are really blunt on the internet. Like, this thing fits like shit. Here's what you should know. Here's how it fit me. Here's what my size usually is at these places. Like, share that information with other people. I love a review. I think it's really helpful for helping me make decisions about fit. Um, When I was working at ModCloth, we were probably one of the first retailers at that point that really utilized reviews both for our own education as buyers but also – for our customers, and we had this just thriving community of people who would be really straightforward and blunt about how something or did or did not fit. Post photos. Uh, everybody was using that as customers to make better decisions. But even we as buyers would say, like, "Hey, we can't reorder this because it's not. It doesn't have good reviews, or yep. people say it makes their boobs flat." or their arm they can't move their arms like we need to talk to the vendor about this we need to reevaluate our relationship with this brand going forward and i i think that even if you feel like oh i'm just one drop in this ocean of people buying stuff out there and living uh, you make an impact by sharing your experiences
3: absolutely absolutely and just that <sighs> Just that process, right, of like being told how much your voice matters is fundamental and having the awareness that like we're all in this together, Mm -hmm. we have all felt the impact of (laughs) these things that we're discussing. That That is part of community, right? Of being like, okay, well, at least I'm not alone anymore. I don't feel so alone. It's not my fault that this didn't fit. So those reviews, that feedback, those call-outs, positive and negative, are all so important. And I really, really hope that they, they are a catalyst to serious positive changes in this industry. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. I agree. I hope so too. I believe it. Yeah, I've seen what we can already. What we've done already, and I think it's all just just beginning.
3: I think so too.
0: Well, thank you so much, Audrey. This was so fun.
3: Right back at you. I'm honored. I'm so glad we got to talk today.
0: Thanks again to Audrey for spending so much time with me. What a delight. I'm going to share all of the places you can find her in the show notes. Go do that. I'm also going to share a link to her sustainable shopping guide by Style Archetype. You don't know this, but I had to say that like 10 times before I got it right. (laughs) That's a lot of consonants. Uh, Go check it out. It's super helpful for trying to figure out your own look. Uh, Really impactful. One important mission of many that I'm on here at Close Horse is untangling our own relationships with our style and ourselves and how that can lead to overconsumption, to so-called retail therapy, it's not therapy, and a closet full of stuff that we don't really like. As I said in the last episode, fashion thrives on the feeling of being left out. Our own insecurities about our taste, our bodies, our class, etc., they can make us particularly vulnerable to bad clothes that make us sad and all these trends that just aren't right for us. Sadness leads to so much shopping. That's one of the reasons community is so important to me. Not only do we need a critical mass of people to make significant change in the world, we talk about that a lot around here, but finding your niche, finding a place that supports you being you will do wonders for your relationship with stuff and shopping. When I think of how I felt more than two years ago when I was working for a big fast fashion company, well, I felt like shit. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. I felt like a piece of garbage every day. Not because I was working for a big fast fashion company, but because it was the wrong place for me. Even though I was really, really good at my job, even though I spent so much time training and developing my team, teaching them everything I knew, even though I had a great eye for product and strong personal style of my own, even though I was and am, I'm not ashamed to say this, super fucking smart, I could see that my coworkers felt like I was old, fat, had imperfect teeth and and therefore had less value as a person. I didn't even tell most of my coworkers that I had a kid because I was afraid of how they would judge me for being unmarried when I had Dylan. Isn't that ridiculous? Anyway, I could feel that I was surrounded by a bunch of wealthy, incredibly privileged people, and I would never fit in there. And so I was shopping a lot. And by the way, I hate shopping. As a person who has to have shopping as a part of my career, I kind of hate it. I figured if I dressed enough something that I would fit in or at least be respected, that maybe people would want to be my friends, that maybe people wouldn't talk behind my back, or at least they would think I was worthy of being there. Every morning, Dustin would have to give me a pep talk as he drove me to work. Oh yeah, that was the other thing. Even though I was perfectly capable – of getting myself to work, I had Dustin take me because I needed every moment of positive interaction I could get in order to get myself ready to make it through that day. It was such a dark time for me. Even if, all, even if it all looked good on Instagram, nothing I bought, no matter how many things I bought, made me feel better or more worthy. Fast forward to now where I'm like, guess what? I'm great. My style is great. I'm surrounded by all of these rad people, that's all of you, and now I don't need a bunch of new clothes to make me feel better. I'm just being myself. That's the power of community, of support, of finding your spot. It's been radically transformative for me, and I want the same for everyone. I want to stand outside with a huge sign. It's so big, I can't even stretch my arms wide enough to hold it. I'm going to have to get Dustin to hold it. He has much longer arms. And that sign says, welcome to the Close Horse community. Everyone is welcome. I want everyone to join us so that we can all feel as good as I feel, and we can fight the good fight together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or don't, just come back next week. And don't forget to tell your friends. Thanks, as always, to my other half, Dustin Travis-White, for our music and audio support. Bye!